It's uh, great to, to be together today, and again, those that uh, engage and connect online that aren't able to be here in person right now, we just uh, uh, pray that you'll sense uh, the Spirit of God. And of course, we know that God is everywhere, uh, as, uh, as vital as it is to, to be together as a, as a body, uh, we know that God is able to lift you uh, wherever you may be uh, this morning. Today is the sixth message in our Living Free Galatians series, and I encourage you to listen to any of the messages that you may have missed just to kind of uh, track with, uh, with the study and uh, catch up there a little bit. Today, worthwhile confrontation. Worthwhile confrontation. Have you ever thought something was a worthwhile confrontation only to realize in retrospect or hindsight, that it really wasn't. I could likely spend my whole preaching time this morning sharing life experiences in that regard, but I won't. Those of you who are married may have experienced uh, what Miriam and I have sometimes experienced. You know, we get into a discussion. Okay, it's a disagreement. Okay, it's a fight. And in the moment, the expenditure of energy seems like it's, this is going to be worthwhile. <laughs> Only to, uh, sometimes a very short time later, you revisit it, and it's like both of us are, what, what, were, what was the point? What were we trying to get across? Uh, doesn't strike me as some of those being too worthwhile. My dad has talked about the time when he was in high school and a school bully was a part of the mix. And as a smaller, uh, younger kid, he, my dad st stood up to this school bully who would incessantly tease him and other kids. And one day, my dad tells me that one day this bully had his arm twisted behind his back to where he, he literally thought that his arm was going to break. Well, uh, my dad still had one arm and one fist free. And so he says that with all his might, he came around, surprised the bully, and came around with one solid punch to the solar plexus. And that put him down. It turned out to be a worthwhile confrontation in that moment because that bully never <laughs> bugged my dad again, apparently. That's the story. Well, there are biblical examples as well of confrontation. And of course, we know that, uh, that Jesus uh, had no problem with confronting the Jewish religious leaders many times in the Gospels. We see that be because of their, uh, their hypocrisy and because they were so, they, they so self-righteous and yet, it seems, completely unaware of the spiritual deadness in their own hearts. And of course, that's what matters most to Jesus. Life within. So, so Jesus had no problem confronting such condescending, pious leaders. Now, remember, Jesus, Jesus speaks from a place of, of absolute perfection in his character, right? And so he has the right to speak to them directly like we see that he did. Like, like when he called them, it's like he called them names. 
you whitewashed tombs. In Matthew 23, verse 27, meaning that, oh, you guys look good on the outside. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're just everything to the crossing the T's and dotting the I's and what you should do in the rules and the regulations, but inside, you are full of dead bones. Spiritual deadness was within and impurity. Whitewashed tombs. Well, there are issues in life that are worth a confrontation, yes. But, but when we, as imperfect humans, confront, it's certainly not to be done in any, uh, you know, angry or, or name-calling kind of way. And sadly, that happens between Christians. Someone, someone might say, well, well, I need to give them a piece of my mind. And they go up one side and down the other on the person. Then they walk away feeling like they've accomplished something. When all they've done is dishonored God and disrespected a fellow Christ follower. Shown their own immaturity, really. That's not the way it should be in the body of Christ. There's another type of confrontation described in Galatians 6.1. Paul, a little later in this same book. He says, if, if another believer is overcome by some sin... You who are godly should confront. We have negative connotations in our mind with that word, don't we? It's not always the case. Maybe that's because we've experienced that most or done it that way most. But, but confrontation is, is not a negative, doesn't have to be a negative word in that sense. And Paul says, when a believer is overcome, another believer in some sin, and you notice... This is why the relationships within the body are so vital. One, one, of the, one of the reasons, one of the biblical reasons. We were supposed to watch out for one another. And Paul says, you who are godly. Now, that doesn't mean you're superior. That doesn't mean you're condescending. That doesn't mean you're judgmental. That doesn't mean you feel, oh, I'm so godly. I, I'm the one to correct this. No, that, that just simply means you who are uh, maybe, maybe spiritually more mature, recognizing you've got your struggles in this area and that area, but that just happens to be the struggle in that person's area. And you notice, so you do what? Paul says, you should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Key words, you notice them. Gently and humbly. You're going to that person and you're confronting in love. Out of care. Because you don't want them to continue uh, on that path. Because that's a path away from God. Potentially for eternity. And you don't want that to happen. As a brother or sister in Christ, right? So, some key words there about confrontation. Th that's a type of confrontation described. That Again, gentle, loving. But, but somehow in this culture, many people don't believe that's possible. They, they mistakenly think that if they want to say... Uh, or or if, if what I say is going to be heard, then I, I, need to, I need to use my loud and forceful voice. Yeah, you see it. It's just, it seems to be increasingly so in our culture. And then I can call it passion and, and, and get away with yelling at somebody. No. That's not proper for a Christ follower. That's not Christ honoring. And... If you've done that, if you've done that to someone, I just, just let me say, you've done that and you've just kind of left it there. 
You, you need to revisit that situation with that person. You do. God, God would call you to do that. I believe it. Whether it happened yesterday or years ago, doesn't matter. Might be kind of weird revisiting some, but that's okay. Jesus calls us to make what, what, what needs to be made right within the body of Christ with, with a humble apology. So we'll look today at the Galatians passage in two segments, the confrontation and then very briefly the truth statement. The confrontation, verses 11 to 14, a confrontation that the Apostle Paul, writer of, uh, of uh, much of the New Testament, has with a ministry uh, co-minister co, co of the gospel and, and, his, and his friend, Peter. Paul believes that when the clarity of the gospel is in jeopardy, that is a worthwhile confrontation, that a confrontation is necessary because, because people's eternity is potentially at stake. And we've talked a little bit about that in this series. You know, confrontation about that is a little, little bigger than, you know, should we sing courses or hymns or whatever the question might be many times. Verses 11 and 12, Paul writes this, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he arrived, he ate with, no, Peter, of course, being a Jew. When he arrived in Antioch, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised, not Jews. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. The, the New King James Version puts verse 11 this way, when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Have you ever felt you, you just had to do that? It, it, again, it matters how you do that, but, but Paul was absolutely convinced he had to do that. And to his face, as opposed to talking about him behind his back, right? Which would have been gossip. And Paul spoke very straight about that in some of his writings in Romans 1, 29 and 30, where Paul, the same, same guy, different letter, puts gossip in the same category. There's a sin list there. Uh, and, and gossip appears with a bunch of other stuff, including you know, murder and greed. And oh, wow. God, God, God hates gossip in the, in the body of God. Well, hates gossip anywhere, but certainly, especially maybe in the, in the body of Christ. It, 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 res, it, it destroys relationships in what's supposed to be a, a family that watches out for one another and loves one another and journeys together, right? So Paul, good for him, to his face, not behind his back. We... we Again, may have negative connotations when we hear the words, I withstood him. That, that, doesn't mean, uh, that doesn't mean Paul blew up at Peter, although he's human and I kind of can imagine Paul could possibly do that actually. Um, but if he stepped out of line biblically, he'd have to repent and apologize like any one of us, of course. But anyway, um, but he, Paul was, was no doubt very firm with, with Peter. He wanted to be sure Peter understood the error of his actions in this. And we'll unpack that a little bit more as we go ahead. Again, in this, in this situation, we need to remember that the purity of the gospel was at stake in Paul's mind when he confronted Peter about his actions. I mean, this was a really big deal, actually. And so what did Peter do that brought about Paul confronting him like this? Well, we, we read it. Um, 
This narrative starts by saying that Peter came to Antioch where Paul was. Now, there were two Antiochs, by the way. Uh, most believe that the Antioch here is Antioch in Syria because that was where many Gentiles, uh, the gospel was be going beyond the Jews to, to non-Jewish audiences and individuals, and many in uh, Antioch of Syria were coming to Christ, which, uh, of course, is just, just awesome, uh, coming to personal faith in Christ. And, and, and Paul, Barnabas, and Titus, as we talked about uh, previously, returned there after meeting with the uh, church leaders in Jerusalem. Again, as we, as we actually, last Sunday, that we, we talked about that. And then at some point, uh, Peter comes from Jerusalem for a visit. I, I, it doesn't say why or the purpose, but it was a major journey for that day. Uh, Jerusalem was, or Antioch was about 480 kilometers north of Jerusalem. So it took, took a, a good long time to make that trek, and Peter, Peter did. And it was there uh, in Antioch when Peter came that he witnessed the gospel bringing different People, people of different backgrounds to get truly together. Jews uh, uh, who were coming to uh, see that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah and they were trusting in Christ and his work on the cross alone for salvation, as we've said. And, and, and then people from other religious backgrounds or, or probably for some no religious background uh, referred to in the New Testament, again, as, as Gentiles. All kinds of people becoming Christ followers in this city. And, I mean, that, that's our constant prayer, isn't it? And, and, and we heard it this morning in our prayer circle before. People in Beaumont and Region and Edmonton and Alberta and in our nation to come to Christ. But that was, that was happening. Paul witnessed what I think had a part in why people came to Christ Unity of the body. As a matter of fact, it tracks with Jesus' prayer in 17, where many of you know Jesus prayed just a little while before he went to the cross and then later returned to heaven after his resurrection. One of the, one of the major themes of his prayer for the believers at that time and all who would come to believe after, he says, it's you and I. Jesus prayed for unity. That, that, that we would be one, is how he put it. So that what? The world may know, Father, that you sent me. Ah, oh, wow. So, I mean, again, this is, this is big, big stuff for the gospel. And, and Peter is witnessing this. Jews and Gentiles coming together this way. I mean, that wasn't a common sight where Peter was from because there was still this, this, this carryover, this, this, this comment, a practice, the Gentiles were unclean. Hmm. Sad. Even among those who had come to faith in Christ. Now, we all, when we come to faith in Christ, we all have not only growth opportunities, but growth needs, right? So for many back then, this was, this was one of them, for those with, with Jewish uh, heritage and, and background. So here... In Antioch, where Paul's primary mission field was, was Gentiles, Peter comes and witnesses, and he loves it, it seems. He, he witnesses the power of the true gospel in action, again, bringing people together. And, and Peter joined in. He was eating meals in the homes of non-Jews. No problem. It was beautiful. 
sharing that kind of relationship with people from different backgrounds. And if you've had the opportunity to do that, it is a beautiful thing. It's one of the things I love about going on missions trips. It's rich. It's rich. You can learn so much from people who grew up different than we did, than you did, however it is you grew up. It's beautiful. But Peter believed what, what Paul wrote in Again, this same letter, Galatians chapter 3, and we'll, we'll, someone else will be preaching on that, I forget who, but Galatians 3.26, for you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've come to know Christ, if you've surrendered your life, you are truly a child of God. Not in some generic kind of way as his human creation, which is, which is, which is true, but a true, eternal, personal child of God. Paul is referring to here. And then uh, two verses later, verse 28 of Galatians 3, Paul says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, there's no longer slave or free, no longer male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And by this statement, Paul is not referring to gender fluidity. Just, just a point to note. He, he writes, there is neither male nor female, but believe me, Paul, Paul believed God's creation. He believed in in. Biology, that God created male and female, which again is reiterated throughout Scripture and in the words of Jesus. And, and, and Paul is just saying here that under Christ, though, we are all equal. We're one. Stated again succinctly in the phrase from verse 28, you are all one in Christ. The Scripture also speaks fundamentally to why any seed, any seed of prejudice or racism in our heart whatsoever must be confessed as sin and turned away from, repented of. And, and, and again, my friends, it, it, it must. So Peter, who, who knew all of this, still pulled away from the Gentiles when this group of Judaizers, as they were called, came into town. Now, remember uh, from previous messages in this series, Judaizers were people who uh, professed faith in the cross, in, in Jesus and his work on the cross, but still needed to add from their Jewish background ceremonies and rituals as part of the assurance of salvation. They added works to a grace message, right? Remember that? And so these guys, these, these guys come from, from Jerusalem. Paul refers to them as, as friends of James. Well, there's some speculation on what exactly Paul is saying. It's, I, I think it's unlikely that James actually sent them. I, I tend to think that, uh, and we don't know for sure, it's not a big deal, but I, I tend to think this group of Judaizers that came from Antioch used James' name to add credibility to them and to, the, to what they were trying to convince other uh, believers of in Antioch. But whatever the case, they, they arrived on the scene and they spoiled the party. And Peter caved to these legalists, sadly. And he, he immediately pulled away from sharing meals with the Gentiles. How sad. How sad. That his, the way he interacted with people depended on some other imperfect human being's perspective and opinion. Oh, again, who of us in one way or other haven't done that? Breaks God's heart. Really does, I believe it. And it's sad because Peter knew better. I mean, later you can go read Acts 10 where God gave Peter a vision. And he was wrestling with what to eat and what not to eat based on Jewish background and laws. And I mean, it's clear in that vision that God gave, him, gave Peter at that time 
that uh, God viewed that as old news because everything I give you is to be received with thanksgiving. Oh, I like that passage because I love shrimp, <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah. Anyway, you can read Acts 10. Um, the last part of verse 12 says, Paul writes, he, that is Peter, was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. These people likely knew Peter from back in Jerusalem. And Peter may have been afraid that they would spread rumors about him if they saw him eating with the Gentiles. Oh, how terrible. Peter loves all people. Like God does. Wow, so bad, hey? I mean, this doesn't even make sense. And and, and, And it got Paul worked up. So he confronted him to his face. Pastor Joel preached a, a great message from Galatians 1, 10 to 24 a couple of Sundays ago, and Paul's words in that first verse of that section, verse 10, was, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, Paul writes there, I would not be Christ's servant. Pfft, says it straight. Good for him. And if you miss that message again, you can go back and listen, especially if you have people-pleasing issues, like some of us do varying degrees. Like that, that's just some, some good stuff. And Paul w- was in that moment more concerned about what God thought than what Peter might think of him if he confronted him. Way to go, Paul. Peter, he bent to peer pressure, didn't he? And, and he had shown a propensity to do so before when Jesus was going to the cross. Remember, some of you, most of you probably remember the story. Hey, the servant girl looks at, looks at Peter. Hey, I, I saw you with, with that Jesus. You were, you're with him, right? I don't know the man. <laughs> Three times was his response. Actually, that was six. I had my thumbs out, so eight. No, only three times. But, I mean, again, we can't get all over Peter because who of us haven't? Who of us haven't? I mean, maybe you haven't outright denied knowing Christ, but maybe you, remember you, maybe you remember a time in high school, uh, maybe last week, where this peer pressure, however that looked, resulted in you doing something that you know you wouldn't otherwise normally do. And later you regretted it. And you, and, and, and you talked to God about that. And you, you sought his forgiveness. And he gave it freely, right? Or, or maybe as an adult you felt some kind of peer pressure that caused you to compromise what you, what you know or how you know God would, would have you conduct your business. God will forgive that too. Three thoughts briefly, kind of as a uh, parenthetical little portion here of, of handle, handling peer pressure. Three, three things that, that come to my mind uh, pretty quickly when I think about this. And uh, oh, I can, I can remember times over the years, uh, even as an adult, where this, I'm not, I'm not preaching at you, I'm, I'm preaching to myself too, where, uh, where I let what someone else thought determine my actions that I knew were outside uh, the direction or the next step that God wanted me to take. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you in this. Three thoughts handling peer pressure. Number one, be, be confident. Be confident in God's love for you. Pretty basic, eh? But when you truly are Really, we could stop there, I suppose, because that brings us to the other issues of 
you know, the need for security. Be confident, conf- fully confident in God's love for you. His approval and affirmation matter most. I mean, think about it. The God who created you and created everything we see and everything we can't see will welcome you into his presence in heaven. He, was, he is the one that will welcome you. If, if, if you surrender to Jesus, he will. He loves, that God loves you fully. Imperfections and all. And, and, and this truth can and should be solidified in our hearts and minds through spending time in God's Word. And if it'll help you, I can certainly direct you and give you some, some, some really good Scripture passages to, re- to reflect on, to read and meditate upon in line with this. Secondly, know that your identity is in Christ and not in what anyone else thinks of you. You see, peer pressure is largely, as as I'm sure you know, connected to insecurity in our lives and to a desire to be accepted by others. It's possible, it's possible to rest confidently in the truth that God accepts us and His acceptance, again, matters most. And therefore, our response in various situations can can, can then come into line with what He knows is best for us when, when our identity is in Christ, which means I just recognize I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Thirdly, embrace the truth that God's path is, in fact, the best one to walk in every way. Not necessarily the easiest, but the best. The, the, the world, again, said this a few weeks ago, Quoting a young person, as some of you might recall, in my Sunday school class years ago in Sherwood Park, the world has nothing that is worth your eternal soul. Think about that for a moment. It doesn't matter your age. The world has nothing, nothing that is worth your eternal soul. So, Let's move on. We're we're not told if Paul first went to Peter one-on-one. He may have, which is the way Jesus said to to do confrontation, right? Uh, Correcting someone in in, in Matthew 18. And and maybe he did, and uh, maybe Peter didn't listen. uh, We're not told that, but could be. Or it's, I think, also very possible that Paul challenged Peter right away in front of the others because what Peter did was so public. Makes sense. Again, not that it matters huge, but, uh, but Paul, we know, was, was, was bothered by all this because Peter's actions were, were contrary to the message that Paul uh, loved so much and that Peter loved so much, really, and that they were both trying to disseminate to the world and spread in, 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 their, in their world. Paul was bothered enough to confront him to his face because, again, this, that, that, that salvation message was at risk. That we are saved, what is it? Remember from last Sunday? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That that message was at risk. And so Paul had more than just cause to confront Peter. Verse 13 and 14, Paul writes, As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter. As a result of Peter's decision to pull away from the Gentiles because of these people that influenced his behavior, and as a result of that, it's evident that Peter had influence because Paul writes about it. As a result, 
Other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray. I mean, Barnabas had ministered shoulder to shoulder for a long time with, with, with Paul. And again, in the previous section that we talked about last time, Barnabas went with Paul to Jerusalem to talk to the, 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 the main, the, 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 uh, the, the way, Jesus' way, church leaders, uh, and uh, make sure that they were in alignment with, with the message that they were declaring for years already. I mean, this, just, this is wild. So it just tells us that we're never above being adversely, negatively influenced in our thoughts or actions by, by, by certain people, right? Just a reminder there. Paul, uh, Paul says Barnabas was also led astray. Verse 14, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws, in other words, when he came to Christ, and are living like a Gentile without those Jewish rituals and ceremonies having to be a part of the way you connect with God, then why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow those same Jewish traditions? Peter is not adding up. It's not making sense. It's not only hypocritical what Peter did and not to get, again, as I said already, not to get all over Peter because any one of us could very well respond the same way. However, I'm, I'm not sure Peter realized the degree, maybe, of the detrimental influence of his actions on, on others. Because essentially, he, he turned this, this, this table of uh, unity into a table of division, which is really sad. I don't think we truly understand the high value that Jesus places on unity among his followers. As I mentioned last Sunday, when, when non-negotiable gospel truths are at risk, we, we, we can't settle for some kind of false unity. And so Paul observes some Jewish believers following Peter's poor example. And so then in front of all who were there, what Paul says to Peter in verse 14 indicates that uh, that, that, he, that, that Peter was, was waffling. As a, as a Christ follower, Peter knew. Peter knew that salvation came through the sacrifice that Jesus had made on the cross. So, so he had laid aside, as we said, those, those Jewish laws and rituals. But, but now, because of the pressure he was feeling from the Judaizers, he, he broke fellowship with the, the non-Jewish Christians in that city. And, and, and again, said it already, but to just a Say it again. Uh, Paul viewed that action by Peter as a direct opposition to the true gospel message that brings freedom, not bondage, that brings unity, not division. And, and Paul rightly chose to deal with this situation head on because it was hurtful to people and it was detrimental to not only to, well, to the witness of the gospel and potentially to their, them embracing the, the true gospel. And so again, salvation of people was potentially at risk, really was. Short on time, what's new? Very briefly, the truth statement, verses 15 to 21. Verse 15, Paul writes, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Huh, quite a statement, hey? We may have a connotation of how that comes across to us. Now, that, 
That, that, that wasn't intended as a derogatory or a, or a condescending uh, expression by Paul because Paul knew that he was also a sinner like everyone else. As a matter of fact, he said it in another place in the New Testament. I, I'm the, uh, a sinner. I'm the worst of sinners. He knew that. And so this comment was intended to, to, to simply make the point that as Jews, they did have an advantage because they, they already knew the God and Father of Jesus, the Messiah, through which the gospel came, of course, right? In, in their previous religion of, of Judaism. However, in verse 16, uh, Paul quickly says that in spite of this advantage that comes with being a Jew, they're, they're really in no better position because he stresses that everyone must come into God's eternal family the same way through trusting in Christ and his death and resurrection, repenting of their sin and receiving his forgiveness. And so that's the big truth statement. Again, to many of you, no surprise, but worth being reminded of. If you've been with us from the beginning of this Galatians study, you know that there's some redundancy in some of the teaching points throughout Galatians, and that was intentional on God's part, obviously, as he led Paul to write this uh, theological instruction letter. But, oh, it's more than... We have this, again, connotation of theological being dry and all that. Well, Preachers can make it dry, but true theology, like we're talking about, faith in Christ and what he did on the cross, I mean, that's theology, but that's life-giving, eternity-shaping stuff. This uh, truth statement of verse 16 is, is an example of this. Paul writes, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. <laughs> and you, if you know Paul's background, you'll remember that he was a, a Jew of Jews, a religious leader, uh, uh, trained and taught by, by, by top rabbis of the day. That was his background. Verse 27. Uh, sorry, verse uh, 16 still. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we have obeyed the law. For no one, for no one, he writes, will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. I'm sure that ticked off some of the Jewish leaders and maybe even some of the new Christians, the Jewish people who had become Christ followers that were still holding on to those to-do things from, from their previous religion. And, and Paul could not have made it more clear. That, that's the gospel. Namely, that self-effort won't take care of our sin problem. Self-effort won't bring us, no matter what that self-effort may look like, won't bring us into God's loving and eternal family. Self-effort won't secure will never be what secures for us a place in God's eternal heaven. I'm glad about that. Now, again, that's no excuse for laziness on the other side of faith when, 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 when God says, I want you, I want you to reflect my love through the good things you do. Yeah, right? You know what? Let, let's skip to slide 31. One final thought in this discussion. We, we need to remember that good works aren't bad because the, the fear, I think, for people on, on that side of the, the theological equation is that, well, if we say it's by grace alone, 
nothing will get done. Good deeds will just go by the wayside. No, no. When you've been transformed by the grace of God, what is the natural reaction? Is to show and share the good news of Jesus. And many times in practical ways by loving people well. The great commandment of Jesus. Love God well, love people well. Love God well by loving people well. Is a way we could phrase that. Good works aren't bad. As the Bible makes clear, they do not bring eternal salvation. However, we were created to do good works. Did you know that? Many of you do. You know, the ver- well, you know where I'm going. To another letter of the Apostle Paul that we referred to last Sunday, where he wrote in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace, that's what we've been saying, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a big participation. Love you guys. Uh, that's so rude. It, it's a gift. And then, and then he writes at the end of verse 9 of Ephesians 2, not by works so no one can boast. God knows us, right? Propensity to pride who, who we all have. But, I mean, we stop there most of the time. And that's okay because we're, we're com- communicating to people that, that message, that salvation, coming to know God personally and eternally is a gift. You do not have to work for it. But there is a very important verse, very next verse, verse 10. And you know it well, most of you. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created us to show and share His love with others through our words, of course. When there's an authenticity of life, those words are meaningful. And the authenticity of life piece is what we do, how we share, how we step in to help someone. Maybe even the person that we know is holding an, an illegitimate grudge against us or whatever the case. And we're reflecting God's love because we're created. We're created. We've received salvation by grace, but we're created to do good works that honor God and inspire people and point people's focus toward Jesus. It's beautiful. So Paul ends this section by reminding us that the old law is not the path to receiving God's grace or forgiveness. And and that comes again by fully surrendering to Christ, which Paul describes here as being kind of a a word, a phrase that that might repel some initially. And we sang about it this morning, and that wasn't orchestrated. I I love that song choice, Brandy, as as God leads you. I know you take that seriously, and that's beautiful for our church. Uh, That last song, Christ Be Magnified, and the reference there uh, to being crucified. And that, did it say death is the doorway, right? Death is the doorway to resurrection life. That's odd. Death to self. Death to the way Marlowe would do life. And if Marlowe chooses to die to self, to see in a, in a metaphorical, metaphorical way, but with practical, real-life applications a metaphorical way to identify with the crucifixion of Christ. I am dead to my way, to myself, to my wisdom, to my choices. I'm dead. 
crucified with Christ. Verse 20 of this passage. Crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I now live because I've chosen to be crucified. And when Jesus rose from the dead, that's his stamp of, I'm going to bring you to life the way I meant for you to live it, here and now and in eternity. It's powerful. Do we always get it all right? No, that's okay. Come back. Come back to the cross every day of your life. Sometimes, if you're like me, moments throughout the day, many moments throughout the day, God, I come back to your cross. Thank you for your gift of grace. Forgive me for those careless words. I want to crucify my speech and speak life as you want me to. Whatever it is. I pray this is resonating with you because it's powerful. The gospel is so precious. But the gospel isn't just for salvation. The gospel is for life and living and relationships. Of course, eternity. Right? Thank you, God, for your gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for stepping in and taking upon yourself the just and fair penalty for sin that a holy God required. Jesus, you stepped in and died for me so I wouldn't have to. Christians, I want you in this moment. I know we're, I started earlier than anticipated and that's dangerous because you get rolling and it's like, but we, we got a, a couple of minutes for sure. I want you just to reflect on this beautiful truth of what the gospel is in your life if you know Christ, if you've surrendered to Christ. In silent reflection, prayerful reflection, I want you just to take some time with God right now, thanking him. For Jesus and what he did for you, because that's the gospel, the good news message that God brings to us in Christ. Take some moments right now in quiet reflection and thanksgiving. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, it doesn't matter where you are, engaging online or in person here, and you want to commit your life to Christ today, God, our loving Father, is standing with His arms open to receive you into His family. Not because you did this, this, and this, or because He's going to demand this, this. No, because of what Jesus did on the cross. And God brought Him back to life to prove that He could deal with the sin barrier that all of us have. Receive him now. Trust in him. Just in your own words, just say, God, thank you for loving me so much. That, Father, that you would send your son and Jesus, that you would come to be, to be my, my, my substitute, my voluntary substitute for sin. I, I repent of my sin. I, I ask your forgiveness. I give you my life. I trust you as my forgiver and the leader of my life because you know best. All wise God, I surrender my life to you and my eternity. Help me to live and grow in this new relationship with you. In Jesus' name. If you express that to God in your own way, in your own words, I would love to hear about that. 
We'd love to connect. And you can, you can scan a QR code that will be on the screen, those engaging online as well, and just give us the opportunity to connect with you, if you as you trust us with your contact information, um, to, to be... Uh, to be there to answer questions or to, or to provide resources and to, uh, to help you even put down roots, which for some of you might be just a brand new experience. And it might be scary for you. Uh, I, I'm confident that it doesn't have to be. And we want to help you in that uh, because the role of the body of Christ in us living our individual Christ life is, is absolutely God's plan, right? It's all we see in the New Testament. Christianity is always in the context of, of the body. So, I pray you're encouraged, everyone, by God's Word today. God bless you.